spoken night. I went to sleep that night without knowing that it would be the last night I ever spent in that bed at my parents' house in London. Meredith, my mum shook me awake. The room was dark, making it obvious it wasn't morning yet, or not time to get up for school anyway. Mum, I mumbled in my half-asleep state. It's time to go. Everything I told you about those stories is true. It's time for you to leave us so you can train to be a protector. Your dad and I, we've done everything we possibly can to prepare you. First Charge is the first book in the Destiny Initiative series by Amnesty. The book can be purchased in paperback from Amazon. The e-book can also be purchased on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books and many others. Spoken Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, SpokenLabel.Bandcamp.com On Bandcamp it is set as pay what you want. So you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you want to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always a term and a great way to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs of this podcast. Enjoy. Spoken Label. Hi guys, Andy N, Spoken Label, back in the house. Just finished work, literally, about five minutes ago. So okay, so shutting down the works laptop and getting me on to go on Spoken Label. So that's the way I am. So I've got a lovely young lady with me today and... I've known her for a few years now through my night at Speakeasy. And she's been quiet for a while, but she's recently reappeared at Speakeasy and has a new book she wants to talk about as well. So, my mysterious friend, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who you are. <laughs> Tell them a little bit about your writing and where we take it from there. Uh, hello, I'm Helena Jane. I, yes, I first started speaking at Speakeasy. Oh my gosh. About three years ago. Yeah, that was when you were a student back then as well, weren't you doing your degree? I was, I was a first year student. Um, It was, Speakeasy was the first place I ever read poetry out loud. And I was terrified. I remember just shaking. In fact, I don't remember any of the actual speaking. I only remember just sitting back down afterwards and like downing a bottle of wine. So. Oh, I can remember that. I can remember that. Yeah. I I, I well remember that. Like it was like. Yeah, I remember, I remember yeah. Amanda, my partner, coming up to you the first time you read there. Could have tried talking to you in the second half. <laughs> you could get any sense out of you. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I was, I think I was, a, and also I remember I knocked over a lamp on my way in and I like caught it and it was fine, but it was just like everyone suddenly turned and stared at me and I was like, oh, I've made a terrible impression and I've been here five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't um, come back, you didn't come back again for two and a half years after that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, unfortunately, yeah, I kind of took a break from doing readings and stuff just because I was kind of like using the same material over and over again. And I felt very much like I just need to kind of take some time and figure out what else I can write. Um, and also then university kind of was like suddenly sped up and became very real. And then I had to get a job. So that came in the way of things. So it was all kind of like at one time, um, but never stopped writing, always kind of like penning away. Um, yeah, and that's what we're here today, really, aren't we? Because you have yeah. brought out a novella fairly recently as well. 
called The Winter of Our Femininity. Now, mm-hmm. I want to, we've got plenty we could talk to about this. I've read most of this book, and it's, this little, little book is excellent. So, but I want to know, first of all, then, where did this come from, this idea for this book? So this uh, book, I would say it's kind of been like 20 years in the making. Wow. Um, it's stuff, yeah, I know. Like two years old, penning down right. No, it was this, it was all, it's all You're really started, are you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I wish. I wish I could claim that, but unfortunately not. Um, but no, it is definitely based off of stuff that I wrote when I was younger. And it's based off experiences I had. Um and I mean, it's all fictional, but there is that kind of nuance of like my own personal experiences. And that's why I think some people are able to really resonate with it. Um, I've gotten some lovely messages about people kind of being like, yes, I went through this. And like, I, I know what you're talking about. And it's, that's just the best thing to kind of experience and see. Um, but yeah, so the actual idea for the piece came from, I was at a house party and I was completely drunk. Sorry, mum. And I was walking downstairs and my shoe came off and like I watched my shoe fall off my foot and like tumble down these stairs. And I was like, (gasps) and I just had this whole idea. So I like ran out to this garden in the student house and I was like recording a note on my phone. And I was talking this idea through and my friends were like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I've got to go home. I've got to write this. I didn't write anything that night. Um, But the next morning I woke up and I was like, this could be something. So that's when uh, it was kind of born and it became something. And then it was my dis- dissertation piece um, for university. And then after I submitted it, I kind of just felt like it wasn't finished. That like, cause it, the dissertation was only 9,000 words. And I was like, this isn't enough for this story. And I don't feel like this story has been told properly because it's been, I've had a, a word limit to fit. So I, just kept writing and then um, I approached my publishers and they were like they read it and they loved it and they were like just lengthen it do whatever you want and we'll publish it so that's been a fun experience of just kind of like yeah just like the whole freedom and they've been it was fun like we were on a google doc with it and so I typed something and then I'd get like five comments being like yes yeah that or actually, you've spelt that completely wrong. This doesn't make any sense. And it'd be like me at like 5 a.m. like typing rapidly, but not actually making sense. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I can't, you made me smile then when you talk about when you, you wrote and you was drunk at a house party. I know when I've done writing before now, just because of the age thing here, like um, kind of written nowadays, but when I used to be, instead of your age, I'd be writing at a house party. I spent probably about two days trying to translate what Han wrote. So at least nowadays, you, do, yeah. you don't have to worry about it being um, handwriting. Yeah, some, like, thankfully, like, having my phone with me means I can just type it in the notes, but sometimes they make no sense at all. And it's like, who wrote this? Because this is, like, at the moment, I thought it was so, like, beautiful and amazing. And I'm like, I look it up on my phone, and it's actually just, like, it, it doesn't even make sense. And it's like someone's translated something a couple of times. Like, you know, when you, like put something through Google Translate a couple of times, it just suddenly doesn't sound real anymore. Um, Essentially, that's what's written down. So it was kind of a a very lucky moment that this came through fully formed, and I remembered it the next day. Impressive. Definitely round of applause there. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously, um, as we spoke to my Sunday Tribune article as well, I've known you for, we reckon, what, three years or so now, don't we? So now maybe more, thinking about it. But... Um, um, 
when we first got meeting, Richard, I remember you were more of a poet, really. So what mm -hmm. made you change direction to what you wanted to write this as a novella? Um, so yeah, yeah. So I think we've known each other since I moved up to Manchester in 2017. So at least since then, because I remember I kind of instantly started wanting to perform and everything and speak easy for the first one. Um, but yeah, so I am usually a poet, you're correct. I, I don't know, this when this story came to me, it just came as a, as a novella. It never felt longer, never felt like poetry to me. Um, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like a possession kind of thing. Like I just got the idea for the story and it just had to exist as it does. Um, I think poetry, I always kind of reserve it for my own personal experiences and my like thoughts and feelings. And fictional stuff, I tend to try and just use um, prose because it feels more authentic to it. I think mm. um, anyone who's read my stuff is kind of used to my poetry being my own personal thoughts and feelings and me just then in insisting that everyone be a part of my brain for 10 minutes while I read it. Um, and that's like, I don't know, it just, yeah, it just kind of came out as prose. So... I don't know what else to say about that one. That just kind of, <laughs> no, it, kind of it, it was one of those ideas where it just comes through really powerfully and it like insists on the form it takes. Um, so there was not much I could do about that. wasn't wasn't my responsibility. <laughs> no, it's fair. I think it's fair enough. Fair enough because I'm always a believer. And any piece you write, you can't guarantee what form it's going to take. Because um, I'm doing, I'm doing a submission of for, for a book. Amanda's getting together at the moment and on mm -hmm. crime and horror stories. Which she wants, don't mind, she wants poems and crime, short stories. I don't, I don't write short stories. I'm not an 800 words into a short story at the moment. So, like, it's, and it just, it just takes away the mind of its own sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. It's almost like yeah. invisible hands directing you, definitely, yourself for that. Now, I want to be curious as well, because if people have read the book, they'll notice the actual first part of the book. You set at a funeral. Mm -hmm. Why did you make, what made you want to start this as at a funeral? Um, so the story existed without the funeral scene and as I was writing more when we when I was working with the publishers and we were um, putting more into it and fleshing out and bringing back the original ideas I had like certain characters had to be cut when it was my dissertation submission and kind of bring those back in I just couldn't help but picture them all at a funeral and I thought it was this really great moment um, to kind of just twist everything we expect about funerals in literature like they're usually these sad affairs and they're usually it's usually raining and there's a black umbrella and everyone's crying and I kind of thought like this this character this unnamed girl she doesn't have that she doesn't get that even in death I think everyone disappoints her and being able to like give to, to play with them in that way and then kind of have that set up the whole book this kind of like known but unknown thing um, yeah, it really just—I don't know—it it kind of it kind of just kept coming back as an idea. And I was having coffee with one of my publishers, and I was like, "What if I wrote them as a funeral for the prologue?" And she was like, "Yes, do it. Write it now." And I think I wrote it in about ten minutes. Wow. <laughs> kind of was wow. really like—I think it was definitely sat there just waiting below the surface. Um, but yeah, so they—and they, once again, it links to that whole like. It demanded to be a novella and it, I think that prologue just kind of sets it up perfectly it tells you exactly what you're in for it's not going to be a, an affair where people get what they want or they deserve and I think it, so it really does like uh I think discourage anyone who expects a happy ending unfortunately 
we're poets. We don't believe in happy endings. That would That's say, isn't it? I wouldn't have a clue if I did believe in them. <laughs> now, back, back to 1.4, I should have asked you. I'm asking these questions in the wrong order here, which is very me. But you mentioned before about this has done his dissertation for originally. Did you find then when you got to the you got to the final draft, had it changed a lot after working on it with your publisher? Yeah. Yeah, I think anyone who read the dissertation version, a couple of my friends did and my family did. Um, and it was always like, yeah, it's good. But like, the, it, it, if, I think my boyfriend phrased it perfectly. He was like, it just feels like there's so much missing. Um, and I think the dissertation barely just kind of touched the surface of it. And again, like I mentioned, there were so many characters. Ed, for example, had to be completely cut out. Um, so getting to add him back in and flesh him out so much was more fun. And just like other things, like the scene when she's getting ready, that's so relatable for me as a woman. Um, and that was definitely kind of plucked from my own memories of like trying to get dressed. Um, but just getting to like add things in like that in and just really getting to like experience the characters as they came to me. Because they did kind of come fully formed um, out of thin air, which is why I can't imagine ever doing a sequel for this, just because it feel they feel so related to these series of events um but yeah I think I think if you looked at them side by side they would there's connections but not enough to like explain it fully if that makes sense um, yeah 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 it does yeah it's like the dissertation is almost like the brief notes of it um yeah yeah that's fine so okay there's only a couple of quick questions I want to ask you today anyway, and then we get you a reading for us now where do you see it okay I could ask where do you see your writing or next where would you like your writing to go next? Do you have any sort of any more plans in mind? Always, always got plans going. Um, I mean, I would love to do a poetry collection next. That is something that's really kind of would be very relating to back to kind of like how you know me and how most people know me, which is through the poetry scene. And I would love to do a poetry collection. I do have a couple of ideas for maybe some prose. And I think kind of just keeping my options open, um, waiting for the ideas to come through. And again, like this coming about as it has was just like a moment of like dumb luck. So I guess just wait for another opening like that. Um, but yeah, like a couple of a couple of like ponds going, kind of like getting everything, get like a couple of different paths I could go down, definitely. Oh, cool. Well, we won't ask you any more on that today then. Next time you get another book out where we get new weekend and need anything to ask is explains how it's all come back. Don't look again then. <laughs> so <laughs> now obviously just to clarify people, people if people are interested, you can find your book quite easy on Amazon, can't they? On all good yeah. booksellers or evil news agents, whatever. But um if people want to read out more about you apart from that, where are the best going? um I mean there's always my I have my writing Twitter which is written by HJ I don't post much I tweet retweet a lot and a lot of it's quite um stupid <laughs> if I do say myself That's why. Um, also my poetry by HJ Instagram where I post a lot of like poems and things I'm working on and I'm going to start doing kind of like what I'm reading at the minute so that'll be fun to kind of engage more with but yeah so they're cool. the main um and unfortunately if you want any more information you have to buy the book and read the about the author section <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> good. that's a good that's a good hard it's sell a that one. famous plug there really but oh yeah that's not even like a subtle plug right so that's very no, really no, under the carpet. Just, 
buy a coffee, everyone. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's up to call one of my parents and buy 10 coffees and then get me. <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. And then they passed them out to friends and family. Um, so, and I think they're just doing that every couple of months. So, I mean, there's enough now, I think there's more signed copies than there are unsigned. So, I so, don't know about that. Oh, it's called, called parent support, my philosophy. So, yes. I got definitely there's a love and respect to your parents for that one, definitely. So, right, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Anyway, so we'll conclude this bit now and we'll let you get a poem and maybe another ready for us. So, hang around because I love this young lady's work. So, See you on a spot. Hi, guys. Straight over to Lena now. Over to you, my friend. <laughs> um, so this is a poem from a collection that I've recently finished in my third year of university. It's a collection of sonnets called And Learning. And this is the last one in the series. The title is I have tried to complete the act of unlearning. These are the words I wish to send back to my younger self. Hack pretty from your bones. Douse in petrol. Use the fire to warm through the layers of ice. Take the lessons and all the pain to feed the fire, which will burn them to ash. The ash will rise a red bird from you to find freedom in the morning. But for now, the fire conjures the shadows. The shadow that follows you, you sit with her. She is anger until anger runs out. Then she will say her true name. Let her hands hold your face still. As you breathe in the fumes of pretty to the bottom of your paper lungs. Pretty girls, don't eat that. You don't want to go up a size, do you? These are the words the fire will hunger for. From the cold ashes, you can grow impressive and sweet roses, a testament to you alone. Brilliant. I love sonnets. I love sonnets. Had, had you wrote many sonnets before that then? Was that really, a, was that the first one um, really? It's like a collection of 10 sonnets that I did uh, for a university submission. And it was just kind of like, um, again, one of those like weird moments where I was like, I'm going to write sonnets and no one's going to stop me. And I kind of was like, um, the whole series plays with sonnets as a form. I've been posting them over on my poetry Instagram, which I recommend people check out. Um, oh, subtle plug again. <laughs> I'm full of it today. Oh my gosh, I think it must be the coffee. No, um, com- no comment yeah. there. <laughs> so it was like playing around with like what even makes a sonnet what determines a sonnet so in the series I think there's only two perfect sonnets and the rest either have more lines than necessary or two li- two little lines or they aren't got the right now symbols and that was just something really fun to play with um so that's definitely a favorite series of mine um but yeah okay and now I'm going to be reading the prologue to the winter of our femininity um okay The funeral is a steaming affair. The sun shines down in an undesirable way for such a sad occasion. Any other assembly of people would be happy, smiling, their faces tilted upwards to feel the gorgeous yellow warmth spread over them. No one here does that. And our black clothing absorbs the heat. It makes sweat run down our backs, pooling in our seats. I stare at my black shoes. They have a scuff on them, probably from the pavement that I'd stumbled on walking here. I wish I could reach down and force it off with the rubbing of my fingers. What is everyone thinking of me? I shouldn't have come here, especially with a scuffed left shoe. Who does she think she is, they're thinking. She didn't even know her. I want to address them and their stares. I knew her, I wanted to tell them. In her death, I knew her better than all of you, you murderers. 
I see Lottie is here. Her dress is far too short for such an occasion and her body is slumped against Ed's, his arms holding, up her, uh, holding her body up. She looks as if she'd not stopped crying. Her eyes are bloodshot and her nose was almost rubbed raw by the screwed up tissue she is holding in her hand. She looks like a mess. Good. Ed looks as if he's doing better. In fact, I can tell he is. His jaw is set solid and tight, his mouth a fine line. He looks everywhere but the freshly dug grave. The air holds the smell of fresh dirt. The muscles in his arms look well-defined once again, like they did back in our first year of classes. He's been working out. Who can work out so quickly after the death of a loved one? I wonder how he pictures her now. Is she a pile of broken bones on the patio floor with a pool of blood growing around her? Or is she the girl he used to fuck, slumped together in small bathrooms at parties? I think a lot about when, about the moment he saw her. Her blood slipping between the slates, washing the dirt away. His eyes glossed over with some kind of knowledge. His jaw locked the same way it is now. What do you know? He hadn't screamed the way I had, and I didn't even know her name. He ha I hadn't touched her the way he had. His life was so mixed with hers, he didn't even cry. Lottie had been different. She had tried to touch the body. She tried to hold it like an, act an actress selling the final scene in a Shakespearean tragedy. She made the whole thing harder to look at and the paramedics and the police had to pull her away. She clawed at them. She had to warm up, she told them. She was cold, she needed her. The body was no longer the star of the show, it was Lottie. Once again, she had solidified her status as leading lady as the body was whisked away. Varjak had been a similar case, but he didn't show up to his, his lectures for the first two weeks. And when he did show up, it made me wish he had never come back. His clothes were crumpled and to be near him was to smell a mixture of urine and vodka. He stumbled his way through slides and collapsed halfway through, his tears choking him and making him cough. I didn't want to comfort him like the other girls in class. I wanted him to feel what he'd made her feel and his tears didn't last long. He found a new girl soon after. Today, he stands close to her and she whispers something to him, her light blonde hair swishing forward with her motions, capturing the light. She doesn't care for where she was. His eyes gleam, her death means nothing that nothing would change for him. And he is here, I presume, to make sure her secrets that she had threatened to spill would stay buried with her. The family stays close to the hole as her remains are lowered in. I feel my eyes, I close my eyes tight. I try to think of happy places, happy things, but I only see her open eyes, so surprised with the pain of her fall. I see what her body must look like now, rotting and pale. Her eyes though, her eyes are the same. I hear someone let out a sigh of relief behind me. I whip my head around, but I can't tell who it was. I turn back as the family throws soil onto the coffin. I hear a whisper, meant to be quiet, but loud enough to, for the second row to hear. I'm not sad she's dead. And that is the prologue. <laughs> Andy, you're on mute. I'm indeed. I am indeed there. <laughs> I might turn to be daft now. We'll let you do the hard sell again. Where, where can the book be found? <laughs> so you can find this on Amazon um, and you can... Yeah, and then you can follow me on Poetry by HJ for more updates about uh, the book or um, other upcoming projects. Watch your space, definitely. So, been a pleasure today, <laughs> Helena. So, as always, thank you very much for today.
look forward to having you on again in the future, definitely. Yes. Right, yes. everybody, hang around, Delina. I need to speak to you off mic as well as normal. But thank you again. And this is Andy Ent saying, stay safe, everybody, and stay over. And we'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm. Spock on there.